you think you know what we're going to talk about. And welcome back to Three Fates Decide. It just sounds more dramatic that way. All right. So this week we are going to be talking about... But just when you least expect it, we changed the game. One Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. I mean, we always celebrated Easter. You're part of the Half-Blood Prince. So we're going to do another free talk, freestyle thing. No planned discussion. At the end of the day, only one thing matters. We decide. We're going to hit the, the main highlights. That is the thing that we were saying back in that episode. Quick recap. Three Fates Decide podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Three Fates Decide. My name is Sam, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Liz and Mary. Say hello. 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 And for this episode, we are going to continue with our true crime slash serial killer genre that we do every couple of episodes. And for this episode, we're going to be focusing on John Wayne Gacy, also known as the Killer Clown. And uh, we're not going to go too graphic into this, but the man was a sicko. He was convicted of 33 counts of murder, but they feel that there's definitely more than 33. So it just has 33 plus. And then he was murdered in prison. So there you go. All of his murders took place inside of his ranch-style house in Norwood Park, which is just outside of Chicago. And he would typically lure his victims into the home. He would dupe them into stoning handcuffs on the pretext that he would demonstrate a magic trick because I guess his part-time job was being a clown at like parties and stuff. And then he would rape and torture his captives before killing them by either asphyxiation or strangulation. And all of his victims were men and boys. He was a sick, sick individual. Yes, he was. Very much so. And I think, I know Mary, you and I had said this when we were talking about doing this episode, that a lot of his murders and stuff were happening at the same time as Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. They're similar, except he didn't eat his victims. And he was a clown. And he was a clown, yes. Not that's like the main point of this whole thing, but he was a clown and just clowns are creepy. 26 of his victims were buried in the crawl space of his house. Three others were buried elsewhere on the property and four were discarded in the river near his house. So crazy. He had been convicted of other crimes leading up to this as well. One being in 1968, he was convicted of sodomy of a teenage boy in Waterloo and was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but only served 18 months, which is crazy. It is. And we live in the U.S. Yeah. His very first murder victim was in 1972. And then he had killed like twice more between then and the end of 1975. And then the rest of them. So again, at least 30 happened after his divorce from his second wife in 1976. So yes, even though he lured men and boys, he was married to two women in his lifetime. I just don't understand how. I don't know. But, and I guess a lot of these killers have sad upbringings and his, unfortunately, is no different. He was abused by his father, both physically, mentally, emotionally. No excuse, by the way. I'm not giving an excuse, but he was molested by a family friend and was basically always told that he was never going to be good enough and just made to feel really bad about himself. He was always overweight, not athletic. But there was something that I read that when he was younger, him and another boy did sexually assault a young girl. So 
red flag. Oh, yeah. 100%. But the family friend that was molesting Gacy, he never told his dad because he felt his dad was going to blame him. And I guess based on how his dad treated him, I would feel the same. But believe it or not, he actually really loved his father, which is crazy. And then he did become involved in politics. He was an assistant precinct captain for the local Democratic Party candidate. And his father didn't like that either. (laughs) Called him a patsy. Of course he did. His father was a real piece of work, wasn't he? Yeah, his father sounds like a great guy. Yeah, I'm just like wonderful person somebody i just want to spend all my time with right yeah but gacy had jobs working for the ambulance service he worked for a mortuary as an attendant for three months and observed morticians embalming dead bodies and occasionally served as like a pallbearer he slept on a cot behind the embalming room and he has later confessed that there was an evening that he decided to climb into a coffin with the teenage male and embraced and caressed the body before experiencing what he calls a sense of shock and that kind of got him to go home (laughs) but I guess that's when he realized that there was something not right Hmm. but he did go to college he did graduate he took a management trainee position for a shoe company he was transferred to Springfield Illinois and worked as a salesman and then got promoted to a department manager. So he actually was doing fairly well. He became engaged to a co-worker and he joined the local JCs, which is the United States Junior Chamber. It's a leadership training service organization. Mm-hmm. And that same year, he found that he had his second homosexual experience. He said that a colleague in the JCs gave him a bunch of drinks, invited him to spend the evening on a sofa, and then the colleague performed oral sex on him while he was drunk. There you go. Besides that, though, his life was great. <laughs> yeah, and we are not saying that all men that are gay or homosexual, homosexuals, whatever, however you want to say it, trying to be politically correct here. We're not saying they're all serial killers and they're all perverts. They're not. No. In fact, 99.9% of them are very nice human beings. <laughs> they're very good, nice, wonderful human beings. Yes. It's just unfortunately a lot of serial killers tend to be repressed, closeted homosexuals. Yes. Yes. Good note to add there. Yes. Yeah. I just don't want people to think that we all think that all gay people are bad. They're not. Yeah. And they're not all serial killers. They're not all perverts. They're not all anything. Mm-hmm. Nope. You're right. It's just unfortunately serial killers tend to be the bad eggs of the bunch. Yeah. You look at other serial killers who target women. It would be the same thing as saying all heterosexual males are serial killers for women or whatever. Like, obviously, that's not true. They're serial killers and rapists. Because not all heterosexual men are rapists either. Right. It's just, unfortunately, there's that very small subsect of them that tend to give men a bad name. And it's awful. Yeah. Yep. I just had to say. I appreciate that. Put that note out there. So getting back, Gacy married Myers and her father apparently owned or purchased three different KFC restaurants in Waterloo. So the couple moved there and Gacy became the manager of all three restaurants and was making a lot of money. He opened a quote unquote club in his basement where his employees could drink and play pool. And I guess he was like the quote unquote cool boss. He employed teenagers of both sexes, but he only socialized with the young men and he gave many of them alcohol before he made any type of sexual advances and if they rebuffed him he was like god all joking haha didn't mean it just checking your morals there 
five, you passed. <laughs> Red flags just going up everywhere. Seriously. His wife gave birth to a son. Oh, great. And then a daughter. And Gacy said that period of his life was perfect because he had finally earned his father's approval. He had a great job where he was making good money. He had a wife that I guess he cared about. He had two kids. He was living the high life. And then in Waterloo, Gacy joined the local JC's chapter there. And he was offering extended hours to the organization in addition to 12 to 14 hour days in the restaurant. So he was working like nonstop between the two places. And he would provide fried chicken and wanted everyone to call him Colonel when he was at the JC's. Okay. Just sounds like a weird guy. But apparently the Waterloo JCs were a bunch of wackos. They were very heavy into drugs, pornography, prostitution, and wife swapping. And if you don't know what wife swapping is, it's literally what I just said. Oh boy. What you think I said is what I said. <laughs> Here, you want to turn with my wife? Here you go. Well, I'll take yours. Wife swapping. Yeah. He was considered very ambitious and the other JCs held him at very high regard. And he was named outstanding vice president and he served on the board of directors. So again, his life is doing great. And then it all tumbling down because in August of 67, he sexually assaulted a 15-year-old boy named Donald Voorhees, who is the son of Donald E. Voorhees, who was a local politician and a fellow JC. And yeah, he lured him in and he gave him alcohol to movie, persuaded him to engage in oral sex. Yeah, over several months. He was doing the same thing with other youths, including one whom he encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. So he was blackmailing these kids. He tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experiments for scientific research and paid them $50 each. Okay. That's just fucked up. At this point, I feel like he thinks he's untouchable, but that's not the case because in March of 68, Voorhees finally told his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him and Voorhees Sr. immediately informed the police who arrested Gacy and charged him with performing oral sodomy on Voorhees and the attempted assault of 16-year-old boy Edward Lynch. Gacy denied the charges, demanded to take a polygraph test, and the results of these tests were indicative of deception. Gee, uh, wonder why. Stalker, stalker, give me a polygraph test. Oh, your test is wrong. But he continued to publicly deny and uh, insisted that the charges were politically motivated and that Voorhees Sr. had opposed Gacy's nomination for appointment as president of the JCs and... Fellow, a lot of other JCs found Gacy's story credible and rallied in his support. You know what? I'm not going to go there. I'm going to just keep my mouth shut right now. But on May 10th, 1968, he was indicted. The sodomy charge. So sad. But did that make him learn his lesson? Oh, no. No, no. Of course not. Later on, he promised one of his employees $300 if he physically assaulted Voorhees in an effort to discourage the boy from testifying in court. So now he's doing intimidation against a witness awesome guy oh lord we just gotta love him right at this point yeah the kid did it he lured Voorhees to a county park sprayed his eyes with mace and then beat the crap out of him and Voorhees managed to escape he reported the assault to the police identified the kid they arrested him and the kid basically sang after a while it took a little while but he did confess and basically said it was 
Gacy who told him to do it. So Gacy was again arrested and had an additional charge put on him. He was then ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the University of Iowa and two doctors concluded that he had antisocial personality disorder, which is basically the term for a sociopath or a psychopath. Shocking. Was unlikely to benefit from treatment and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. The doctors concluded that he was mentally competent to stand trial. There you go. Yep. He, he was smart, though. He did plead guilty to the one count of sodomy, but not guilty to the charges related to all the other youths, which I don't know. He claimed that Voorhees offered himself to him, that he acted out of curiosity, but the jury didn't believe that. And he was convicted on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And that same day, Gacy's wife petitioned for a divorce. Good job, you. About damn time, woman. Yep. She had full custody of their two kids and alimony. And the court ruled in favor of her and the divorce was finalized and he never saw his first wife or his children ever again. And I can't bring myself to be sad about that. Nope. I'm not going to go into everything about his time in prison. He basically did the same thing where he rose to be like the top, like he was like head cook and he joined the inmate JC program. He secured an increase in inmates daily pay in prison, in the prison mess hall and supervised several projects to improve conditions. So basically he was doing the same thing that he was before, building himself up so that everyone could like him. He was denied parole in June of 1969. He then decided to prepare for a second parole hearing in 1970. He completed 16 high school courses, obtaining his diploma in November 1969. Though that's weird because they said that he graduated college. So that's a weird thing. So something might have been wrong there. (laughs) And I apologize. But while he was in prison, his father died of cirrhosis. And he took it very hard. He requested to be able to go to the funeral and it was denied. In a way, that is sad. Really. That is sad. As horrible as a person that he is, he deserved everything that he got. But to be denied the... Chance to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. That just does not sit right with me even. Yeah. Yeah. He was granted parole, though, following year after serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence. That I definitely don't agree with, but whatever. Yeah, that would definitely, no. Obviously, there was conditions, including nightly curfew, and that he had to relocate to Chicago and live with his mother. But again, did he learn his lesson? Nay, nay. Because then in 71, he was charged again with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that he had lured him into his car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal, driven him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. But the court dismissed the complaint when the boy failed to appear. So I'm wondering if it was another intimidation thing. But later that year, he was arrested and charged with aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct in response to a complaint filed by a youth who claimed that he had flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him into his car, and forced him to perform oral sex. These charges were dropped after the complainant attempted to blackmail Gacy. That's weird. I guess they knew who he was. I don't know. I guess. But the parole board never learned of these incidents. So his parole ended on October 18th of 71. A month later, the records of his criminal convictions were sealed. He got lucky. He got lucky. He did. Yeah. Crazy that could happen, but. Yeah. So then he moved to Norwood Park Township in Illinois in an unincorporated area. His mom helped him. And basically he lived there until he was finally put in prison again. 
But yeah, that's where all of his murders took place after that. He got married again and to someone he actually knew. It was someone he had dated briefly in high school. She had two daughters from a previous marriage and had moved into his home with him. And he had told her that he was bisexual. And I don't know why I'm going to tell you this story, but I think it's just weird slash funny. But after the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, he informed her that this will be the last time they would do so. And then he began spending most of his evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours of the morning with an excuse that he had been working late or conducting business meetings. Gee, they sound like they had a happy marriage. Seriously. Yeah. She observed him bringing teenage boys into his garage in the early hours and found gay pornography and men's wallets and identification inside the house. And when she confronted him, he basically told her it was none of her business. So she was finding evidence of his victims. Shockingly, she asked for a divorce. Gee. What a surprise. Why does that not surprise me? Yeah. In 1971, he got a part-time job in construction. With the approval of his probation officer, he worked evenings on his construction contracts and then worked as a cook during the day and minor repair work and all this stuff. Interior design, remodeling, landscaping. He was just learning all that stuff. Eventually he quit his job as a cook so that he can commit fully to the construction business. In 75, the company that he worked for was expanding really quickly. He was working up to 16 hours per day. And then he eventually became supervisor for the PE systems, a firm specializing in the remodeling of drugstores. And again, he started making really good money. Oh boy. He joined the local Moose Club and became aware of the Jolly Joker Clown Club, whose members regularly performed at fundraising events and parades and hospitals for kids. So he joined the Clown Club and created his own character, Pogo the Clown, and Patches the Clown, and did his own makeup, costumes. He described Pogo as the happy clown, where Patches was the more serious. He didn't make a lot of money for his performances and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress into childhood. And he would perform as both clowns at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, children's hospitals, and thus earning the name Killer Clown. Yeah, because throughout the years that he was murdering, he was a clown. A lot of the workers for his company, the contractor company, consisted of high school students and young men. And he would often proposition his workers for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for lending his vehicles financial assistance, promotions, everything a boss isn't supposed to do. He also claimed to own guns and basically would threaten them. In 73, he and a teenage employee traveled to Florida to view a property that he had purchased. And while he was there, he raped the employee in the hotel room. After returning to Chicago, the employee drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his front yard. Gacy told his wife he had been attacked for refusing to pay him for poor quality painting work. So that was obviously prior to the divorce. In May of 75, he hired 15 year old. Two months later, he went to the kid's home knowing that the kid had an injured foot. The two drank a bottle of wine, watched a movie, and then Gacy wrestled him to the floor, cuffed his hands behind his back. One cuff was loose and the kid was able to free his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, the kid, a high school wrestler, grappled with him, obtained the key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Gacy threatened the kid, then calmed down and promised to leave if he was free. The kid agreed, and Gacy did leave. The kid continued to work for the company for nine months after the incident, and Gacy basically left him alone. 
after that. Can't imagine why. Right. Yeah. God. He picked a hitchhiker and offered him a job. He had the guy move into his house. And then the day after he moved into the house, they were having drinks, celebrate the kid's 19th birthday. And Gacy dressed up as Pogo. And he conned this kid into donning the handcuffs and basically had the intent of raping him. But the kid kicked Gacy in the face and was able to free himself. A month later, he appeared back into the kid's bedroom because I guess they were still living together, which why would you after a situation like that? But whatever. But the kid's name was Dave. And apparently when he went into the room with the intention of raping him, he said, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. The kid resisted, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom stating, you ain't no fun. And then the kid finally got smart and moved out, left the company. But he still periodically worked for Gacy over the following two years. So I don't know. But not long after that kid moved out, another kid moved in. I don't know. And that kid actually assisted Gacy in clowning at grand openings for the businesses, where Gacy would be Pogo and Rossi would be Patches. I don't know how the heck he kept getting these kids. I'm just saying. But anyway. Sadly. 70s, man. I don't know. It's like back in those days, man. It's all weird. Yep. You know? You know there's a pattern here? Yeah. Just a little bit of one. Yeah. He murdered at least 33 young men and boys. As I mentioned before, 26 were buried in his crawl space. His victims included people he knew and random individuals he lured from the Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bughouse Square, or off the streets with the promise of a job, an offer of a drink and or drugs or money for sex. Some victims were grabbed by force. Others were conned into believing that he was a sheriff or a policeman in general, and he would lure the victims to his house and... uh, On more than one occasion, he had what he called doubles, which was two killings in the same evening. Basically, again, he would have the kid or young person have a drink or drugs, gain his trust, use a pair of handcuffs to show him a magic trick. And sometimes as part of the clowning routine, he would cuff the hands behind their back. He would release himself with a hidden key and offer to show the victim the trick. When the victim restrained, he would proceed to rape and torture. He frequently began by sitting on or straddling the victim's chest before forcing the victim get him off, basically. He then inflicted acts of torture. I'm not going to go into everything, but... Yeah. We don't need to know every horrible thing that he's done. Look it up, but yeah. And then he would basically either drown them or choke them to death. Yeah. So... That's what he did. It all came to a head. I'm not going to go into all of the murders, though. But there was one that, well, I believe it was his last murder. He found this 15-year-old working at a pharmacy. He mentioned to the boy that he often hires teenage boys starting at $5 per hour, which in the 70s is a big deal. <laughs> and it was almost double the pay that the kid was earning at the pharmacy. So shortly after Gacy left, his mother arrived to the store to drive her son home to celebrate her birthday. He asked his mother to wait, adding that some contractor wants to talk to him about a job. He left the store at 9 p.m. and promised to return. He did not return because he was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. And his mother basically called the police when he never came home. 
and he was named as the contractor that the kid most likely had left the store to talk to. So the police came to talk to him and investigate. They did a routine background check, criminal record, which showed that he had the outstanding battery charge in Chicago, had served prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy. And uh, the police made sure to go back. Gacy did say that he asked one of the youths working at the pharmacy, who he believed to be the kid that they were looking for, whether there were any remodeling materials, but he swears he never offered a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. and he left his appointment book. He promised the police that he would come to the station later to make a statement confirming his story, but was unable to do so because apparently his uncle had just died. And when he was questioned as to when he could come in, he said, you guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Hmm. He did arrive, though, in the early hours of the morning to the police station, covered in mud, saying that he had been in a car accident. But again, when he was questioned, he denied any involvement in the disappearance of that young man. And he prepared a written statement detailing his movements on the night in question. But the police did not accept that and eventually got a search warrant. And it revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges, a six millimeter bravada starter pistol, a syringe and hypodermic needle, handcuffs, several books on homosexuality and pederasty with titles such as Pretty Boys Must Die, pornographic films, capsules of Emil Nitrate, an 18-inch dildo, a 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottles of Valium and Atropine, several driver's licenses, a blue hooded parka, and underwear too small to fit Gacy. They also found a class ring engraved with the initials JAS and a Nissan pharmacy photo receipt in a trash can alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. Uh, The police confiscated Gacy's Oldsmobile and other work vehicles. Surveillance teams monitored Gacy as the investigation continued. They received a phone call who informed the investigators of another disappearance and the fact that another employee had been found drowned in the river. The investigators obtained further details of Gacy's battery charge, learning the complainant Jeffrey Rignall had reported that Gacy had lured him into his car, then chloroformed, raped, and tortured him for dumping him in Lincoln Park. They interviewed his former wife the same day. They learned of the disappearance of another kid. That same day, the class ring was traced to another young high schooler that was missing. And when they interviewed his mother, they revealed that several items from her son's apartment were also missing, including a Motorola TV set. Gacy, I think, thought this was all a game. He was inviting the surveillance detectives into his home for meals at restaurants and drinks at the bars. He continued to deny any involvement in the disappearance and accused the officers of harassing him because of his political connections and his drug use. And he knew that the officers weren't going to arrest him on anything trivial because that would be stupid. So he just taunted them by breaking like traffic laws and all that stuff. He thought it was a game. It was all just a big game. But that afternoon, the first kid that lived with him consented to a police interview and revealed that because of his poor timekeeping, Gacy had once given him a watch explaining he got it from a dead person. 
Okay. Yeah. Another interview informed them that Gacy had sold him one of his victim's cars. And he explained that he had bought the car from that victim because he needed the money to move back to California. A further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile revealed a small cluster of fibers in the trunk suspected to be human hair. And that evening they used search dogs, which determined whether the kid that they're all investigating had been in any of the vehicles. One laid on the passenger seat of Gacy's Oldmobile in what the dog handlers informed investigators as a death reaction, indicating that Peace body had been present in the car. As the investigation went on, Gacy was beginning to actually show just signs of strain. He was going to do a civil suit against the police, and it was no longer fun for him. But then the police got a second search warrant, and it was the same day that Gacy's lawyers filed a civil suit against the police. The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd. But that afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside the house again. And while one officer distracted Gacy with conversation, the other one walked into his bedroom and tried to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV set that they suspected belonged to one of the victims. While flushing the toilet, the officer noticed a smell he suspected could be rotting corpses from the heating duct. And the officers that had searched the house previously had failed to notice this as the house had been cold. So because the heat was on, now you could smell the... Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my initial reaction to it. was like, why? When they spoke to the two kids that had lived with him, they mentioned to look in the crawl space. The one kid submitted to a polygraph test. He denied any involvement in peace disappearance or knowledge of his whereabouts. And then he refused to continue questioning. But he did discuss the trench digging he did in the crawl space and remarked it was on Gacy's insistence and that he didn't deviate from where he was instructed to dig. So there you go. The first kid that lived with him told investigators about Gacy trying to rape him and basically mentioned that the one night, I guess Gacy had come back in with mud and immediately entered the crawl space looking for something. And yeah, I don't want to know what that crawl space looked like. We all know what was in the crawl space, but we're not going to speculate as to what the, yeah. I'm pretty sure people could figure this out by now. And if you're actually interested, you could find it. Oh. But Gacy basically tried to lie and said that it was drainage pipes. That's why he was all dirty and what he was dealing with. But it wasn't. On the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office for a scheduled meeting. He appeared anxious and disheveled and immediately asked for a drink. He was given some whiskey and he had two cupfuls and basically still said that he was innocent. He was then asked what he had discussed with the newspaper and this is all weird i'm sorry hold on one second okay so one of his lawyers knew at this point that gacy was not telling the truth so he had a copy of the daily herald on his desk and said you said you had something new to tell me something important gacy picked up the newspaper pointed to the front page article where they were talking about the peace boy that had disappeared and said this boy is dead He's dead. He's in the river. So he then proceeded to just ramble a confession that ran into the early hours of the morning. He began by stating that he had been the judge, jury, and executioner of many people, and that he now wanted to be the same for himself. He said he had murdered at least 30 victims, most of whom he had buried in his crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in the river. He dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars, adding he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids with their hands cuffed behind their back. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space 
as he believed they were his property. And then he fell asleep because he was drunk. His attorney immediately arranged for a psychiatric appointment. And when he woke up several hours later, he was told that he basically confessed to killing approximately 30 people. And he just said, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. And he left. He basically said his final days of freedom were very hazy because he knew he was going to be arrested at any time. So he went to go visit friends and say goodbye. After he left his lawyer's office, he drove to the gas station and handed a small bag of weed to the attendant who immediately handed it over to the surveillance officers and said that Gacy had told him the end is coming for me. These guys are going to kill me. He then drove to the home of a fellow contractor and friend and gave him a hug and said, I've been a bad boy. I killed 30 people, give or take a few. Yeah. So he just went to go visit all these people. He visited the two guys that lived with him and he just drove all over the place. The police just let him do his thing, I guess. It was weird. But at 4.30 p.m. on December 21st was when the second search warrant was granted. And the intention was to find the body of Peace in the crawl space. But Gacy denied that he was buried there and but confessed to having killed in self-defense a young man whose body was buried under his garage. So with the search warrant, police had evidence technicians drive to Gacy's home. They found Gacy had unplugged his sump pump and flooded the crawl space with water. They replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. And then they began digging. And within minutes, they uncovered some nastiness. And uh, yeah, basically the guy who was working said they could now charge him with murder. And he said, I think this place is full of kids. Yeah, I just, oh, I can't imagine working that site at all. That's just, but yeah, anyway, he was arrested and he was brought to trial, charged with 33 murders. He was tried in Cook County in Illinois and in front of a jury. He attempted to convince the doctors that he had multiple personality disorder and his lawyers attempted to have Gacy plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Three psychiatric experts at Gacy's trial testified they found him to be a paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personalities. This was all on the defense side, obviously. Of course. Of course. The prosecutors presented the case that Gacy was sane and full control of his actions. Obviously, the two guys that lived with him testified against him, talking about how Gacy made them dig the trenches, basically, and the crawl space. A lot of victims that had survived through the years came and testified. The initial kid, Voorhees, didn't feel like he could because I think he was just very distressed about it. Gacy wrote a personal letter to the judge requesting a mistrial for reasons including that he did not approve of his lawyer's insanity plea that his lawyers had not allowed him to take the witness stand as he wanted to do, that his defense had not called enough medical witnesses, and that the police were lying with regard to verbal statements he had allegedly made to detectives after his arrest, and that in any event, the statements were self-serving for use by the prosecution. So the judge did address both counsels and was informed by both counsels that he had not been denied the opportunity or funds to summon expert witnesses to testify and that under the law he had the choice whether he wished to testify and was free to indicate as much to the judge if he wished to do so. So basically he said, mm, you're not getting your mistrial. Sorry. Yeah. The jury deliberated for one hour and 50 minutes and then he was found guilty of 33 charges of murder. 
He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with the child, both in reference to Robert Peace, who's his last murder. At the time, his conviction for 33 murders was the most for which any person in the U.S. history had been convicted. In the sentencing phase, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after the Illinois statute of capital punishment came into effect. His execution was set for June 2nd, 1980. He was transferred to the Menard Correction Center, and he remained on death row for 14 years in an isolated prison cell. On February 15th, 1983, Henry Brisbane, a fellow death row inmate known as the I-57 killer, stabbed Gacy in the arm with a sharpened wire. He received treatment in the prison hospital. Wow. It's actually crazy how much him and Dahmer really do have a lot in common. But anyway, he tried to appeal being executed. It was denied. On the morning of May 9th, 1994, he was transferred to the Stateville Correction Center to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. For his last meal, he ordered a bucket of KFC, a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. That evening, he received the last rites from a Catholic priest and was escorted to the execution chamber. In the hours leading up to the execution, a crowd estimated over a thousand gathered outside the correctional center. Vocal majority were in favor of the execution, although a small number of anti-death penalty protesters were also present. Some of those in favor of the execution wore t-shirts, hearkening to Gacy's previous community services as a clown and bearing slogans such as no tears for the clown. Before the execution began, the chemicals used to affect the execution solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV tube. So the execution team replaced the clogged tube and the execution resumed. Oh, he probably thought that he was going to get out of it, but the whole procedure took about 18 minutes. Hmm. Anesthesiologist basically said it was the prison officials inexperience that caused hogging, but the error apparently led to Illinois adopting an alternative method to lethal injection. So whatever, but yeah, his death was confirmed as of 12.58 a.m. on May 10th, 1994. His brain was removed, and it is in the possession of Helen Morrison, a witness for the defense at Gacy's trial. I don't get those people. Why do you want that? Yeah, I'm confused about that, too. Yeah, that's just what I was reading. That. I was like, why would you? Why? Other than to just put it in a jar and put it in your home and say, yeah, this is the brain of a serial killer. Yeah. Only 28 of Gacy's victims have been conclusively identified. Five of them, unfortunately, still have not. All of the identified victims, the youngest are 14, the oldest is 21. Yes. And then the unknown, it basically ranges from 15 to 30. But they don't know, obviously, because they don't know who they are. Exactly. So it's just the bones, the pelvis, the skulls. So, yeah. And there's possible other victims. They said that the count can be as high as 45 victims. They just may never know. Another one that you just may never know. Yep. There is obviously movies and stuff that have come out. To Catch a Killer was released in 1992. Feature film called Gacy was released in 2003. Made for TV film Dear Mr. Gacy was made in 2010. Horror film 8213 Gacy House was also made in 2010. And then the Discovery Channel Investigation Discovery has done biography channel has done like all that stuff lifetime movies monster in my family about the killer clown there's been documentaries and all that stuff and then conversations with the killer the john wayne gacy tapes was put out by netflix in 2022 so yeah that's all she wrote and it's still just nasty it's just oh awful got it i can't but so 
it's very sad. And again, I think what kind of got us onto this serial killer was the fact that he was mentioned in the Dahmer Mm -hmm. monster series on Netflix. Yeah. Because again, they started running simultaneously and Gacy was executed, I think right before Dahmer got murdered in prison or right before Dahmer got arrested or something. Something like that. Yeah. They were very close in time or something like that. But yeah. So yes, we are very sorry for obviously all the victims and their families. And yes, our hearts go out to them. Our prayers, our sympathies. Everyone that had to deal with that. I'm not going to obviously get into politically whether or not you believe in the death penalty or not, but I think the world is a better place without him on it. Let's just say he got what he deserved. Yeah. Yep. In, in a way, he got what he deserved. I personally would have preferred it to be a little more bloody, but... <laughs> the electric chair, some green miles stuff. Oh, no, I'm not even that. I'm just, like, straight up. The exact same thing that happened to all of his victims Dahmer. is what happened to him. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Same with Dahmer. Yeah. I think that with all serial killers, just whatever they do to their victims should be done to them. And prolong it. Yeah. Make them suffer. Prolong it. Make it hurt. <laughs> But then again, I'm also a vindictive woman, so it's just... I don't know how I would feel if it was my family member. And I hope I never have to deal with anything like that in my life. Knocking on every piece of wood around me that I never have to deal with something like that. Yeah. I don't know how I would feel. Is it enough that they're just like in prison for the rest of their life? Or do I want them to suffer? But is it them really suffering? I don't know. Like I said, I'm not going to get into the whole political debate on execution or not but we're not going to get into all that i personally think in certain circumstances it's not a bad thing yeah that's all i'm gonna say but yeah so that was the story of the killer clown known as john wayne gacy so if you want to look into more details obviously i tried to go through it without going into too much because we'd be here all night (laughs) yeah yeah you do want to look up things you can go online and again i mentioned some of those movies and stuff like that you can check them out so movies are never 100 percent accurate so just always remember that right so anything else you guys want to add no no did you like what you heard on our episode today well then feel free to come back and listen to us again you can find us on all different streaming sites including amazon music apple podcast deezer iHeartRadio. Spotify, you name it, we're there. And if you really like us, feel free to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Three Fates Decide. That's T H R E E Fates Decide. You can also email us at Three Fates Decide at gmail.com and check out our website at Three Fates Decide.com to find other episodes, information about your three hosts, and all of our other links. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Three Fates Decide.